This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, like I told you, as I've reminded you on a lot of our recent podcasts, is that I took a kind of a break from podcasting because I got so far ahead so that we could take care of mama and baby. But in addition to a lot of things that have been going on in the country, you know, namely, I did that three-part series on race in America, which, by the way, thank you guys so much for all the positive feedback on that. That's one of those things, whenever you take a risk like that, you're not really sure how it's going to be taken, but I've been very, very pleased with the feedback that we received about that podcast and, and the three podcasts that are in that series. But another thing that we really haven't talked about in a while is COVID-19, and that is the you know, seemingly the number one story of the year, even though it might end up being all this unrest that's kind of come off of the killing of the George uh, of George Floyd in Minneapolis. But there's been a lot of things that have changed with COVID-19. And there was a stretch there where you know, maybe that's still the way you're feeling right now, but it seems like things were changing daily where we were supposed to do this and then we weren't supposed to do this. But the thing is, is the mainstream media kind of took a break from talking about COVID-19 because they needed to explain to us exactly how racist we all were in our hearts. So they had to take a little break. But now most of the stuff is getting more into the election and more into COVID-19, things that may look bad for Donald Trump or bad for the country, whatever the situation is. But when I realized... that we hadn't talked about it in a while. I kind of went back because I knew I did an entire episode on it, but I didn't know exactly when it was. So I went back to my notes. Episode 127 of this podcast was called What COVID-19 is Doing to Us. That episode was released five months ago. And and guys, it just seems crazy how long it's been that we've been dealing with this COVID-19 stuff. Because I mean, I remember hearing about it at the very, very tail end of 2019. And here we are sitting here in August of 2020. And this isn't going away. It just keeps redefining our lives. But if you haven't listened to episode 127, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to that. But I'll kind of give you a brief synopsis here. And if you want more of the meat and potatoes or more detail, rather, you can go and go and listen to that podcast. But I talked about some of the obvious things that COVID-19 is doing to us. And so it's obviously affecting our health. It's affecting the health of friends and family of ours. Some people have lost their jobs. They've lost money. They've lost their ability to go to church. Some still don't have that ability. You know, it's affected social lives, your sense of community, entertainment, travel, really all of those things. Those are the obvious things that COVID-19 is doing to us. But then I got into the deeper level things, right? So the deeper level things are, you know, basically the mainstream media is really just out to get Trump. I went into a lot of detail there about why I feel that way. Um, It also reveals how potentially dangerous it is for us to be fat and out of shape and and how much uh, a situation like this shows you when you're not in good health, how this could be, you know, basically coming for you. It also showed us how unprepared many of us are. We're not really prepped. We don't have food for more than two or three days. Uh, It showed pain points in our households because a lot of people weren't uh, really spending a lot of time with their families. And then all of a sudden you're quarantined with your families and that kind of, you know, revealed some of those pain points. Also, it's uh, some of the deeper level things that revealed our paranoia, our paranoia about, oh gosh, we can't like walk around the corner because coronavirus is going to get us or whatever. Then we, we also looked at how dependent we are on escapes like sports and movies and concerts. And we'll spend some more time on that today. But a lot of you guys were kind of worshiping at the altar of those things, you know, that most of us also are utilitarians. That's what it revealed about us that, you know, used to, it's like, Hey, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, but not in, not in the sense of this, we're kind of looking at this as to what can be the best for everybody. And then it looked uh, made us look at how scared we are at our core, that a lot of us are just super, super fearful people. And it doesn't take much for us to become insanely fearful and for it to basically crowd every other thing in our life out. 
And then we talked about how to cope. I talked about spiritually, you need to do your quiet time. Mentally, you need to feed your mind. You don't just watch Netflix, read books, do some other things, physically exercise. If if any of you guys that came out of quarantine fatter, you did it wrong. I mean, my goodness, guys, you had so much free time. Just the commute that you didn't have to have going to and from work, that could have been a lot of time you spent working on your body. All you need is the body and Mother Earth, and you can get a lot of things done. And then we also talked about how we're super connected, so you should just connect with people, stay with Zoom calls, stay with the Google Hangouts or whatever you're doing to hang out with people and also to help while while you can or help where you can. Those are the ways that we kind of looked at how to cope with COVID-19. But again, that was five months ago. A lot of things have changed. A lot of things haven't. And so we're going to kind of go through that today, but a little small public service announcement before I get into the outline of what we're going to be going into today. And it's this. We really don't know jack about this virus. And I know that's a little bit hyperbolic, but we don't really. There's a lot of rumors. There's a lot of studies. There's, well, this guy said this study was right. And this person said this study is right, but they're making two opposite points. There's a lot of stuff like that going on right now. And we really don't know much. You know, there's new reports saying that, you know, people that have had coronavirus are having damage inside of their internal organs, right? It's residual damage. Well, is that damage in the sense that these are people that that's going to turn into cancer someday? Is this damage like, you know, getting poked in the arm, you're damaged for a little bit, but your tissue will kind of renew itself and recover from that and heal that we don't really know. There's so much not to know. So I'm just going to tell you what today's podcast is not going to be. Today's podcast is not going to be a deep dive into the statistics and, you know, we're going to look at this and we're going to see how it relates to some obscure stat from this country and some study that was done over here. That's not what we're going to do today. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not even a statistical guy for the most part. I don't really dig into those types of things. I'm not a spreadsheet guy. That's not what today's episode is going to be. What today's episode is going to be is I'm going to give you a rundown of random thoughts. Because I've been keeping notes on my phone, just like I did with the race in America stuff is every time I got a thought about COVID-19 or there was a point that I heard that I was like, okay, that's a pretty good point. I would just make a note in my phone. And that's been months now. That's three or four months worth of notes. So I got a bunch of random thoughts I'd like to get out there to you, including my thoughts on what schools should do this fall concerning kids, maybe your kids. And then the next section is going to be a section called to the people that say dot, dot, dot. So I'm going to show you how to answer common declaratives that are being made in society right now. Um, I'm going to show you how to answer those with questions. And these are important questions that you need to ask, especially if you're getting into a debate or a discussion, a cordial discussion with somebody about the issue of COVID-19. And then also I'm going to get into really the namesake for this podcast today, which is what your thoughts on COVID-19 say about you. Because depending upon which side the fence you are on with this issue, it really does communicate something about you at a core level. And so we're certainly going to get into that. And then I'm going to make one final point. And you'll definitely want to stick around with that because I'm going to be smashing some people on that one. But uh, in terms of today, as of the recording of this podcast in the United States, there have been around 165,000 deaths caused by uh, COVID-19, if you believe the stats. Uh, And there was about 5.2 million cases, right? So if you care about cases, which you shouldn't, which we'll talk about more in just a second, uh, that's kind of what we're seeing. But in terms of worldwide, there have been uh, almost 750,000 deaths, almost three quarters of a million deaths from COVID-19 and around just over 20 million cases cases worldwide. So let's go ahead and launch in to the random thoughts because I got a lot to say on this. So the first random thought is this, I could care less about the number of positive cases and and you shouldn't care less either. Because here's the thing guys is if you show that you have a lot of cases, but your death rate continues to go down, that's a good thing. 
Because the thing about it is, is when you have so much testing, so let's just talk about the United States of America. We test more people, I believe, per capita than any other country in the world. So when people are like, oh my gosh, look at the amount of cases the United States has. Well, there are a lot of countries around the world that if they had the testing capacity that we did and the efficiency that we do, they would have a higher number of cases as well. And here's the thing is after the initial lockdown that we experienced here in the United States, of course, cases were going to go up as people were leaving their houses. Of course, it was going to happen that way. Of course, cases are going to go up when people start to go back to work, when they start interacting with their friends again. But the thing about it was, is the people that were on lockdown were people that were my age, early 30s, kids that were in their 20s, maybe 40s. I mean, people that aren't really affected by this virus were the ones that were going out and they were contracting the virus and it was having little to no effect on them. Again, you have an almost 100% chance of surviving getting COVID-19 if you don't have some sort of previous you know, pre-existing condition that is severe, right? So like a cancer or diabetes, or if you're severely overweight or you smoke, you have lung issues. If you don't have any of those things, if you're just a regular guy or gal and you're healthy, this isn't going to kill you. Statistically speaking, it's just not going to do that. And so when people start talking about the skyrocketing case numbers in the United States, as compared to the beginning of the pandemic, the other big difference we have is we have ubiquitous testing. Because I remember in February, March, did you guys take a COVID-19 test? I mean, I didn't know very many people that took one. Basically, you took one if you thought you had it and you went to the hospital and they gave you the test. Now you can get them just about anywhere. There are people, there are places where you are being tested for COVID-19 before you can come into work. There's a different type of test now that gives you results almost immediately, right? So there are some places that that I will acknowledge that, you know, it's taking upwards of a week to get your results for a positive test, which is kind of silly. But again, the the number of tests don't matter. The the number that matters is the death rate. And and to even be more specific, the death rate per million, because that's when we can start looking at in a federal system like the United States, we can look at different states and see who's performing well and who's not performing well, because you can't just go on the total numbers. Same thing with countries right? Because some people's death rates are significantly higher, even though their numbers look smaller than a country like the United States. Okay. So again, I could care less about the number of positive cases. I care about the death rate. I care about deaths. That's the important stat that we need to be focusing on. The next random thought is just the, I guess it's more of an observation that pro sports is back kind of right. I'm a big baseball guy. I mean, they can pretty much suck it with all the black lives matter stuff they did during opening weekend but that's back, uh, but they're not playing in a bubble. So my beloved St. Louis Cardinals, they have played as of today, five games this season. The Cubs have more than twice as many wins as the Cardinals have played games. So that hurts me to the core of my being, but it's just one of those things where one guy on the team gets COVID-19 and then they pass it around. The interesting thing about it is they're treating this like this is a death sentence for these players. My favorite baseball player on the planet, Yadier Molina, tested positive for COVID-19, but he's not in the crosshairs of this because he's a professional athlete. And he's a young person. I mean, he's in his late 30s, so he's old for baseball, certainly old to be a catcher. But these are not people that are going to die from COVID-19, right? And they're playing without crowds and they're pumping in crowd noise. And it's kind of unique, but kind of weird. Then you got the NBA, which I don't know anybody that's watching the NBA right now, because basically right now you have the ridiculous jerseys where they have no justice, no peace is throwing up an alley-oop to, you know, basically black lives matter or whatever. It's, it's just almost impossible to watch with all the posturing and black lives matter emblazoned, you know, the name of a Marxist organization. And if you missed my race in America, three-part series that I've already mentioned, go back and I'll explain why that happens. But it's just kind of weird 
seeing professional sports be quote unquote back, but to be in this bubble format, you got guys hitting walk off home runs in Major League Baseball, and all their teammates are like separated from them. They're pretending to do high fives. It's just kind of silly, and that really dovetails nicely into the next random thought, which is about all this college football drama. So, literally right before I started this podcast, the Big East joined in with the Big T- uh, the Big Ten and the Pac twelve as what they're saying, postponing fall football and fall sports, but really they're just talking about football. And so three major conferences are saying that we're not playing football this fall, but then contrastingly, you have other conferences like the Big 12, the SEC, the ACC, which seem rather intent on getting the fall sports in, if not just football, which obviously one of the only sports, that's the thing about uh, college sports that people don't realize is very few teams are revenue generating. So let's take, you know, the biggest school here in my state, Oklahoma University, the University of Oklahoma. Sorry to any of you who went to OU that I just said it wrong, Woo, whatever. But the thing about it, that school is they don't make money off the men's gymnastics program. They don't make money off of softball. They don't make money off. Of, I think they have a diving team. They don't make any money off of those things. Those things are sucks on the budget for the university. Pretty much the only sport that makes money is the football program. And that is pretty much across the board true. You know, Duke basketball makes money. OSU wrestling makes money. There's little pockets of sports here and there, but they don't really make a lot of money. So the the interesting calculus for the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the Big East is that they're getting rid of their biggest money maker, and in, in that's mainly football. Big East is a little bit more of a basketball conference, but you typically make more money off of football. It's just weird to me. But the thing about it is, is at least you know, like the big 10, they came out and they presented all of their data explaining why they were going to do that. Oh, oh wait, no, they didn't do that. Well, at least they, they came out and they cited specific studies that said if their teams were forced to play that they would, they would get this virus and, oh, they didn't do that either. Right. The thing that is so ridiculous about this is these college presidents who many of them have gone nameless as of right now, we'll certainly find their names later. They're saying they want to cancel the season. They say they want to cancel it for the players. They want to cancel it for the fans, all those different things, but they're not citing why they're making this vague statement that, well, gosh, if you know, if the NBA has got to be in a bubble and if major league baseball's having all these problems and all these things, how could we possibly do that for a college football program? But what they're neglecting to realize or they're doing it, you know, dishonestly, is these are 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22-year-old freak beast human beings. There are, okay, if you're a college student, you're more likely to be murdered. You're more likely to die in a car accident, to, to overdose, to drink yourself to death, right? You're more likely to die from those things than you are from COVID-19. So why exactly do we need to cancel football season? And Trevor Lawrence, the, uh, uh, you know, maybe Heisman, Heisman Trophy winning quarterback for Clemson, he came out and had a very nice tweet thread where he was basically talking about the fact it's like, guys, you're going to cancel the season. Where do you think these kids are going to go? They're going to go back to their homes, hometowns and they're not going to go back with masks on and they're not going to socially distance. You can watch these kids because these programs have, you know, 70, 80 kids that are on a team or something like that. You can watch these kids closely if you keep them engaged in the program and keep them on campus. But here's the other thing that I find very interesting about all this college football stuff is the Big Ten, they were the first ones to come out and the Pac-12 joined in and now the Big East has joined in in terms of canceling. But none of these, you know, bastions of strength and foresight have the nuts to cancel winter and spring sports. And if they really believed that this was the big killer, that they, they, they got to protect themselves from liability, 
they need to go ahead and cancel those sports too. Because fundamentally, what will change by the wintertime about the virus? Well, what's going to be different? Because I can guarantee you we won't have a vaccine that's widely available that we know that works by then. So go ahead and cancel basketball, university presidents and chancellors. Go ahead, go ahead and cancel wrestling. You know, and let's go ahead and cancel the spring sports. Get rid of softball, no more track and field, no more baseball. Because next spring, nothing's going to be different. The only thing that's going to be different about this winter is in addition to the normal flu, we're going to have COVID-19 to deal with. So it is absolutely asinine that these people are canceling these seasons. And yes, you might be like, oh, you sound like a big college football fan. Yeah, I like college football, but I don't live and die with any particular team. I just like it being on on Saturdays. It's a lot of fun to watch, especially with buddies, right? But it just doesn't make any sense. These people are basically tucking tail. They're not giving their explanation. And you know what? I would just hope that they would just be honest. So if the you know chancellor of Ohio State University came out and said, you know what? The reason that we were okay with canceling football is because we normally have 100,000 people that show up at every single home game. Every single one of those people's, you know, they pay for tickets, they buy merch, uh, they eat inside the stadium, they drink, uh, they they bring a bunch of money into the community by staying in hotels and, you know, buying beer and buying stuff everywhere else. And, you know, we just don't want to miss out on that money. And so we're just going to hit the pause button because, you know, we don't want to play these games and go through all the expense of playing the games and then not have the fans that give us all the revenue that we actually care about. I would be down with that. Just say what you mean. But it's just crazy to me that these dorks can't just like say, yeah, this isn't that big of a deal. These kids have worked way too hard. We're going to go ahead and let them play. So there's my diatribe about college football. Next random thought is that the mainstream media is just absolutely gross and dishonest. Just watching this, you know, watching the news in 2020, watching the news cycle should be a masterclass on how not to handle yourself as a mainstream media or entity or a journalist. Because the thing is, is, The mainstream media, especially the people that hate Trump, they know that coronavirus is a losing issue for Trump. And they're going to hang their their hats on every bad anecdote and news story. And they're not going to report anything positive about death rates or about reopening or about what's going on in Sweden. They're just not going to do that. But what they will do is they will prop up governors from blue states, like the governors of New York and New Jersey, while at the same time burying governors of red states, like in Florida and Texas, right? They'll, they'll hold these people up. It's like, oh man, Governor Cuomo, this is a guy who's probably handled coronavirus and the COVID-19 pandemic worse than any other governor in the United States. And he's being heralded as this, this bastion of tremendous, I said bastion of foresight already, but is this guy that can basically tell the future and look how good he did, how great of a leader. And oh, he's great when he does his press conferences and all that. But the thing about it is, is he has, I'm pretty sure New York has the worst death rate per million population in the entire country. And one of the worst in the world. New Jersey's, actually, I think New Jersey's a little bit higher than that. But you don't ever hear that on the news. You just hear about how great these guys are. But then a report came out this week. I'm not sure if it's been substantiated yet. But obviously, Governor Cuomo, because of his ridiculous policies pertaining to nursing homes, basically, his his policy for weeks and weeks and weeks at the beginning of the pandemic was that if an elderly person that lived in a nursing home tested positive for coronavirus, for COVID-19, that they had to go back to the nursing home. So just think about that. You're inviting the fox into the the hen house, right? This is a person that is incredibly sick with something that's incredibly deadly to that population. But that was his policy. They got to go back to the nursing home, right? We got to keep the hospital beds clear for other people that need to come in. And that led to thousands of people dying in New York. And the, the report that came out this week is that there were a lot of deaths that went misreported that were actually nursing home deaths. 
So basically what was happening is what Governor Cuomo mandated or whatever the happened, you know, whatever allegedly happened is that if someone didn't die on the grounds of the nursing home, it was not counted as, as a nursing home death. So he said that, you know, grandma had to go back into the nursing home. She gets 10 other people sick, but half of those people died either on the way to the hospital or once they got to the hospital, they weren't considered nursing home deaths. And so don't believe the death statistics that you're seeing just outright, guys. You should have a little bit uh, more of kind of an, an eye to look and see what's going on in those situations because it's not always what you think. But here's the funny thing about it. Is, isn't it so interesting that as soon as the death stats started to fall off a cliff, right? As soon as we flattened the curve and the death started to take a nosedive and the availability of testing shot through the roof, that the media only started focusing almost entirely on positive cases. When's the last time you heard any of the mainstream media people that you may listen to or hear your friends listen to mention the death rate? They'll mention the death number right? We're over 150,000 dead in the United States. No one's a fan of that. No one's happy about that, but they're not talking about the death rates. They're just talking about cases and total number of deaths. It's because they're trying to be dishonest and they're trying to mislead you as to this thing is bad. It was handled. It was bungled by the Trump administration. Well, I got news for you. It was bungled by the entire planet, except for maybe Sweden. Sweden said, no, we're not locking down. If you're elderly, if you're sick, if you're not well, stay home, everybody else get your butts back to work. And it's, possible that they've reached herd herd immunity already. Now they may have a second wave of this. It could end up, they could end up being the biggest losers on this, but it looks like they're going to be the winners in this. So the mainstream media just has not been honest about this stuff. Another random thought here is the remedy for COVID-19 is apparently uh, participating in a Black Lives Matter protest or riot. That's pretty interesting uh, because these cases in the United States started to spike after a lot of the Black Lives Matter, Matter rallies, which is weird. And some of those same doctors and nurses that were coming out saying, please don't, you know, make sure you wear a mask and please don't go out, please socially distance because, you know, we're at, we're in danger and you're endangering everyone else around you. Some of those same people came out and said, well, that's true unless you go to a Black Lives Matter protest because racism is some sort of existential threat that is it's okay to walk with thousands, if not tens of thousands of other people and scream about the evils of policing in the United States. But that's not spreading coronavirus, right? The virus knows how woke you are, so it's not going to infect you, right? But if you went to a Tea Party rally or if you went to a Trump rally or something like that, then it's coming for you, right? So that's interesting. So for any of you guys that are really, really concerned about this, just get yourself an Antifa mask, you know, go push over a statue and say how much you think Black Lives Matter and how you think that makes you virtuous. And guess what? You won't get sick. Next thought here is if Donald Trump doesn't do a federal mask mandate, people will say that he's anti-science. That's what they're saying right now. But some of those same people are saying things like if Trump does a federal mask mandate, then he's a fascist. This is one of those super common moments where we can see that Trump, and again, I'm not a huge Trump fan, but he's damned if he does and he's damned if he doesn't, right? Because a federal mask mandate, which is unconstitutional, uh, you know, if he he says that's a bad idea, it's like, oh, we're just anti-science, you're not paying attention to the science. But if he does that, then he's a fascist and he's everything that you ever thought he was and he's a Nazi and he's all these things. It's like, you literally can't have it both ways. Another random thought is this, is that testing isn't completely useless, but it almost is. Now, again, that's another hyperbolic statement, but let me kind of tease that out. So what I'm basically saying is I'm talking about this for the majority of people, not for those that are in a hospital facility because they think they have coronavirus. But here's the thing. 
I got tested for coronavirus because I had to go to the doctor for a throat problem and they needed to test me two days before I came in. Fine. No big deal. Did the kind of no swap thing, whatever. Came back negative. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But I could literally have contracted COVID-19 the minute after I pulled out of the parking lot after my COVID-19 test. So these people that get this COVID-19 test and they come back negative and they're so excited and they kind of look at this as this false sense of security that, oh, I've, I tested a couple of months ago and I was negative, so I'm good. Guys, you literally need to be testing pretty much like every few hours. Like if you're honestly concerned about it, you need to be testing that often because just because you tested negative before you went to the hospital doesn't mean you're fine now. This seems obvious, but I just don't see anybody saying it. So I figured I'd go ahead and say it. Next random thought here is it says something about us as a society when prisoners are released from prison because of fear of COVID-19 spread and outbreak, but we arrest business owners for opening their businesses. You guys are probably seeing, I can't remember the name of the gym or the name of the guy, but it's this gym in New Jersey that they literally arrested the guys that run the gym. And now they're fining them, you know, $15,000 a day. If they operate their gym, a gym, by the way, which is, you know, they're asking their people to wear masks and no one in their gym has gotten infected with COVID-19. And these are people that are being arrested and they're being fined because they're trying to run their business and feed themselves and their families. But we got rapists and drug dealers and people that are being let out because, they might get COVID-19 in jail and we don't want that to spread. That's kind of interesting. Another random thought is it's amazing, absolutely amazing, how many hospitals and medical facilities went along with the government declaring that parts of their operations were essential and other parts were not. Because a lot of these hospitals just bought hook, line, and sinker like, oh, we, we can't have people come in because they sprained their ankle. You know, if people want to come in for their cancer treatments, we'll, we'll make that optional right? The hospitals just went right along with this. And it's just interesting. But you know who never shut down? This is interesting. Medical facilities that never shut down, abortion facilities. Does anyone know of the abortion mill in their town or their state that shut down because of COVID-19? Because guess what? If a woman had to take their baby to term, even though they wanted to kill it, that would just be, gosh, that would just be an injustice that I can't even imagine how bad of an injustice that would be, right? Isn't that funny? And also another random thought, it's amazing how many businesses and business owners went along with the government declaration that their business or their building was deemed essential or inessential, non-essential rather. It's amazing. These are business owners and that is the only way that they're able to make a living. And the government sells, says, well, you're not essential, but your neighbor is essential so they can operate. Says who? The government? That's not the role of government to tell you whether or not you can make a living. But, you know, business owners and businesses just kind of went along with it. And this really goes into the next thing, which it's amazing how many pastors and men of God are currently still going along with the government declaration that their church is non-essential and a vector for the transmission of this virus, right? I want you guys to remember, do you remember the arguments that were used to defend liquor stores staying open? You know, the argument was, you know, coming from these substance abuse specialists that they're just like, look, when somebody has, you know, a dependence on alcohol and then all of a sudden alcohol is taken away, it could lead to some really, really bad medical issues, bad mental issues. You know, it could have, you know, outsized effects on family members and, you know, spousal abuse and child abuse and all that. So we really should leave liquor stores open. And they made the same arguments for medical marijuana facilities, right? Why can't those same arguments be made for churches and ministries? Because aren't there people all over the country that are made 
well, that are made better, that are healthier mentally, you know, and spiritually because churches are open. But no, 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 no. These pastors are just basically kowtowing to their local municipalities and local government governments by saying, sure, sure, we'll stay closed. Or you know what? We'll only let five people in the door to worship, right? That's pretty amazing to watch. Another random thought is I'm pretty much super enjoying the fight between maskers and anti-maskers, right? It's, it's the new us versus them. It's the new virtue versus non-virtue and all, gosh, just go to Twitter and look for, you know, anti-masker people. These are people that are refusing to wear a mask and just the snowflakery of people losing their minds around these people, demanding that they put a mask on and screaming at them and like throwing things and throwing little fits. It's actually pretty fun to watch. We'll get into kind of whether or not I think masks are effective later, but we'll kind of move on. Another random thought, many people claim to be libertarians. That's kind of the new favorite thing. It's like, oh, I watched Parks and Rec and I liked Ron Swanson, so I'm a libertarian. But during all this COVID-19 craziness is it was revealed that most of these people are way more compliant than they ever even believed possible with government mandates. Because libertarians are like, hey, leave me alone and I'm gonna do whatever I want. Like that's a big libertarian thing. But I think there's a lot of people that thought they were libertarians that are just like, yeah, I'll pretty much do whatever the government tells me because I'm scared. Another random thought is many people are project, projecting their fears and insecurities onto other people and the greater populace. And that doesn't mean we should listen to them. Because here's the thing, guys, is if, if you are terrified about being outside and being around people, then don't go outside. Don't be around people. But you can't, in turn, tell me to not go outside and not be around people because you're scared. It's kind of what we're seeing in the schools right now, which we'll talk about more here in just a second. Another thing here is, I was kind of thinking about this, this might be a dumb thought, but I'm not quite sure that mask mandates actually cause more people to wear masks. And so I know that sounds a little crazy, but here's the thing. The people that are terrified of this virus or are, you know, in the crosshairs of this virus because of their health, they were going to wear masks anyway, regardless of any mandate from any politician or city. But there's a sizable segment of the population that when you tell them to do something, like mandate that they do something, you are severely limiting your chances of them actually doing that. So I feel like the government and some of these mandates and some of these municipalities have made have created more anti-maskers because most people are compliant. They'll just kind of go along with it. But other people are like, you can't tell me what to do. So I'm not sure the mask mandates actually have the outcome that people desire, but yeah, it is what it is. A few more random thoughts here. One positive that I'm seeing through all this, because it's all been pretty negative so far, is that we really learned that when the chips are down, that Americans are still super resourceful and we can get crap done. I mean, I was just, you know, super impressed by the number of factories that were able to reverse engineer their processes to produce, you know, PPE and masks and gloves and, you know, whiskey distilleries that are making hand sanitizer, the ingenuity that we've seen, the medical advancements that we've seen, the speed with which we're even getting close to a vaccine. It's been pretty awesome. Uh, Another random thought is China is still to blame for this. I don't know if you guys need to be reminded of this, but this is the Chinese virus that came from Wuhan. But Everyone in the world seems too afraid to call them out, including Trump. So any of you Trump people are like, oh, Trump called him out. He's gone pretty soft on China. When's the last time you heard Trump say something negative, like really, really biting and negative about China? Because at the very, at the very best, they bungled something in a, in a laboratory or they bungled uh, basically the spread of this and it's causing, you know, it'll cause over a million deaths worldwide. That's China's fault. Last one here before we get into the next section, it's this. The World Health Organization, right? 
they now say that asymptomatic transmission is incredibly rare, right? So you walk in, you, you to a place, you feel good, um, and you start breathing on people, you start singing, you start doing whatever, you don't know that you're sick. That asymptomatic spread like that is incredibly rare. Also, the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, says that it's it pretty much can't live on surfaces. That was one of the big things initially that, you know, if, it, if this could live on plastic for X amount of time, live on wood for X amount of time. But here's the deal. Asymptomatic spread and COVID-19 living on surfaces, both were the entire point to shut everything down. Those were the two main points as to why we shut down the entire planet. So I just got to ask you, why are we listening to the same people that said we need to shut down everything in order to keep people alive? Just for them to a few weeks or a few months later say, actually, that wasn't the case. That, that, that's not the case. Oopsie. You know, we just basically deleted trillions of dollars from the global economy, but eh, we're sorry. Why are we still listening to these people? Like, why are we trusting their judgment and what they have to say? I find it supremely interesting that people are looking at these organizations and quoting them, but you know, that's kind of the world we live in now. So those are the random thoughts. Just had to get those out there, but now let's get into some more practical side, the practical side of things. And it's this section is called to the people that say, so we're going to go through a bunch of statements. If they say this, you say this. So to the people that say the United States is handling this the worst because we have more cases than anywhere else in the world. You should ask that person this. Are you aware that we test more people per capita than anywhere else in the world? Another thing you could ask them is this. Do you believe the numbers being reported by China? Because if you honestly believe that the United States is handling this the worst, then basically what you're saying is you're a big fan of Chinese propaganda because the amount of deaths that they are hiding and the amount of positive cases and the, the spread that they're experiencing as a country, there's no way it's anywhere close to what they're actually telling people. And if you look at a, a top 10 list and you see that China's not on it or something like that, and if you believe that, I got a bridge in Brooklyn I can sell you. So the next thing is to the people that say, I've heard that the ICUs and hospitals are being overrun. They're at 100% capacity, right? You should ask people this. Did you know that ICUs reach capacity multiple times throughout the year and it's really not that big of a deal? I mean, that sounds like an insensitive thing to say, but here's the thing is when the ICUs start getting closer to capacity, do you know what they do? They bring in more beds. They, they bring in more staff. When you talk to somebody that's in the hospital industry, that's not that big a deal. I mean, people are treating that like people are dying in the hallways. And I'm currently not aware of a single patient in the United States of America that has died because they it waited too long in the waiting room or, or for an ICU bed or for a ventilator. Like, is there one case of that? So these people that are freaking out about the ICUs being overrun, they're not being overrun. Like these hospitals are not being overrun with these cases. I even hear people locally here that, that work in the medical field. They're like, oh my gosh, the ICU is full for COVID. It's also full like five or six other times a year. The ICUs are usually for something like the flu. So it's just really not as big of a deal as people are making it out to be. So another thing is if you hear someone say this, let's just see how things look here in a couple of months to the people that say, hey, let's just see how things look in a couple of months and we'll figure that out. The thing you should ask them is what exactly will be different about the virus in a couple of months? 
So there's a, a guy in our crew in our foxhole that I respect a lot, so I won't use his name, but we were kind of deciding like what we were going to do. Like we were doing these outside workouts in the early days of COVID because we didn't really know what to do. And we, you know, we thought that this was way deadlier than it was. So we're working out outside, we're socially distancing, and then we're talking about going back and training at the forge and doing jujitsu. And one of the guys who's a really, really smart guy, he said a really, really dumb thing. He said, well, you know what? Let's just see how things look here in a couple of months. And I just had to chime in and just say what I said. What exactly will be different about the virus in a couple of months? Because from the looks of it is that, you know, COVID-19 is not going away in a couple of months. You know, we're not going to get a vaccine in a couple of months. So the only thing that will potentially be different here in a couple of months will be your comfortability with being outside and being around people, right? It's just your feelings that will be different. And so these people that are just kind of in this constant state of let's just wait and see, you got to ask them, like, what exactly do you mean? Like, wait, wait and see what? Like, it, that's just not really realistic, right? The next thing that you'll hear people say is just trust the data. Gosh darn it, just trust the data. You should ask them this, whose data would you like me to trust in? You know, which data do you believe is accurate? And this relates to the next one, which is just trust the science. Don't be anti-science. Wear your mask. Trust the scientists. At which point I would ask these people, which science are you referring to exactly? Because here's the thing. I can find you a scientist that thinks lockdowns are appropriate and necessary and should be mandated. And then I can find you another scientist that says that lockdowns are completely useless. So who exactly am I supposed to be listening to? The one that agrees with you? Right? I mean, who should I be listening to? And the funny thing about these trust the science people, trust the data people, those people, it's, it's so interesting that many of those same people that think a biological male, for instance, can become a woman as long as that's how he feels on the inside. Those are some of the same people that are screaming about people being anti-science if they don't wear a mask. Isn't that funny? I feel like that's pretty funny. The next thing that people might say that you should really, you know, basically to the people that say something like this is just trust the government. Just trust the government. They have our best interests at heart. Why would they steer us wrong? You should ask this. Which government agency have you experienced being incredibly efficient and effective? Because I just got to tell you, the government has essentially been wrong about just about everything so far. We need ventilators. And then a few months later, it's like, ooh, ventilators might actually be bad. It's like telling your body that you're, you're done fighting. You know, this doesn't affect kids at all. And now it's like, shut down the schools. We can't go back to school. Masks don't matter. Oh, masks are the most important thing. You know, COVID lives on surfaces, except that it doesn't. I mean, we could go on and on. And these messages are coming from the federal government. So why should we trust them? They can't get their own house in order. Why should we let them dictate what happens in our house? The next thing is if someone says this, Let's just hurry up and get the vaccine so that we can get back to normal. You should ask them this. Do you know the typical efficacy rate for most major vaccines? Because that person will be mortified to find out that it's only about 50 or 60%. Vaccines are, most of the major ones are about 50 to 60% effective. It's not anywhere near 100 So if you're waiting on the vaccine before you decide that you want to get back to normal life, you are fooling yourself. I mean, this virus is constantly mutating. It's constantly changing. There's no the vaccine. Like there's no silver bullet that's going to take care of this thing. 
and, and they're, oh, we're just going to get this vaccine and we'll be back to normal. Well, here's the thing, guys, is you have to be really realistic about what that means. What we're hearing right now is that at best, we're going to get the vaccine by the end of this year, by December of 2020. But then we see reports that in terms of the vaccine being widely available, we're looking at the third or fourth quarter of 2021. So if you've shut down your entire world, right, in your own little sphere, then you better be prepared to not come back out into the sun until 2022. Because we're about to hit flu season here in a couple of months here in the United States. The coronavirus, the COVID-19 vaccine is not going to be widely available. It might be widely available by this time next year, maybe. But then we don't know how effective it's going to be. We don't know what the data is going to be on that. It'll be interesting to see how many people got the vaccine and then ended up getting coronavirus and dying, COVID-19 and dying. I mean, that that's a very interesting thing to think about. So you're going to have to think, if we don't know that the vaccine or which vaccine is going to work until maybe wintertime of 2021, well, now you're still in the flu, the flu season, right? And you're probably terrified of the flu now. So we might see you spring 2022. I mean, you just got to get real if that's how you're going to act. Next thing is if people say something like, our top priority must be to prevent all COVID-19 deaths. You should ask them something like this. Are the deaths not caused by COVID-19 important too? Because suicides all over the world are going through the roof. Homicides are going through the roof. Now in the United States, there's a reason why homicide is going through the roof. And it's because, you know, the Democrat politicians of all these leftist major cities are basically telling their police officers that you suck, you're terrible, and we're cutting your funding. And then, you know, crime and, you know, all these felonious crimes and uh, murders and violent crimes are just skyrocketing. It's amazing how that happens. But we also have people that aren't getting immunized. And then they're dying of the diseases that they could have easily not died from if they had just been immunized. There's a lot of people that aren't doing their cancer treatments. They're not doing chemo or they stopped doing their chemo for months because they were scared to leave their house, right? Even with a mask, even with a face shield, even with gloves, they were scared to leave their house. And these are people that allowed their cancer to, to basically get to an uncontrollable level. And those people died. So those people didn't die from COVID-19, but do those deaths matter? I kind of feel like they do. And here's another thing. What if people say something like this? We should keep everything locked down because I might get someone sick without knowing I'm infected. You should ask them this is, will you advocate for lockdowns every flu season as well? I had another really good friend say, yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm not really going to go to work and I'm not, cause I just, I couldn't imagine if I was asymptomatic and I spread COVID to a friend and they went home and, you know, they were around their mom and dad and then their dad got sick and died. And the only one they knew of that had COVID-19 was me. That would be so crazy. I couldn't imagine doing that. It's like, well, aside from the fact that you did, you know, described a, a kind of ridiculous scenario, we, we've been told now that asymptomatic spread isn't really a thing, but a lot of people die from the flu every year as well a surprisingly high amount of people, right? So why don't you do that every flu season? Why don't you just stay home every October through March? Because you might infect somebody with the flu and they might go home and give the flu to an elderly grandparent who will eventually get pneumonia and die. Like, again, you just got to be realistic. You have to play this out. Like if you're, if you're going to keep everything locked down because you're fearful that you might get somebody sick, you have to take that into all the other scenarios as well. So what about if someone said something like this, we need to shut everything down. Look at what's happening in New York city. This is a pretty simple one. I would ask them, do you live in New York city? 
Because guess what? My hometown of Lawton, Oklahoma is not a whole lot like New York City. If you live in Bozeman, you know, I don't think that looks like New York City. We should not treat every city in the country as if it's New York City. Just because most of the major news networks are in New York City, and so they're constantly talking about the frantic nature of things going on in New York City, that's not a concern for me in central Oklahoma. Okay? What about people that say something like this? Lockdowns are the best solution to this problem. I would ask some something like this. Are you aware of what's going on inside of thousands of homes in the world right now? If not, I guess maybe even millions of homes right now? Because guess what else is up all over the world? Child abuse is up all over the world. Kids going to the hospital because they're getting beat up by their parents. Spousal abuse is up all over the world. Suicides, again, are up all over the world. Pornography use is at an all-time high. People are literally sitting around at home, bored, and they're self-medicating with porn. Destroying their brains. Rewiring the pleasure centers of their brains by jerking off and watching porn. So. Those are all things that are happening because of lockdowns. Now, I'm not saying, oh, the governments are responsible because they locked everything down and now, you know, people are beating their kids. Like you still have to have some ownership over how you're going to act as a human being. But come on, lockdowns are the best solution. There's a lot of reason to think it's not. And then the last thing here uh, on this section here is if someone says something like this, we can't let our children go to school this fall for their safety. We're so concerned about their safety. I would ask him this. Are you aware of the death statistics for COVID-19 for children? That's what I would ask him. Because here's the thing. According to the CDC, and I know, you know, they've led us wrong, but this is the current stat that we're going to look at. According to the Centers for Disease Control, since the beginning of the pandemic, okay, as of the recording of this podcast, 76 Americans under the age of 18 have died from COVID-19. 76 Americans. Okay. Now there are around 75 million people in the United States that are currently under the age of 18. 76 have passed away. I wish they hadn't died, but the overwhelming majority of those people had other health issues that exacerbated the problem with COVID-19 once they contracted it. So these teachers who were told all the time that all they want to do is teach and, and, you know, mold the minds of these kids and how they're so important and how they should be paid more and how their life is so hard, you know, making an average of $75,000 a year to teach in the United States. They get three months off, spring break, fall break, these, you know, Christmas break, these, these horrible poor teachers, right? Gosh, all they're doing right now is they're just desperate to not teach kids. They just don't want to go to school and they're like, oh, well, it's because we're concerned about the kids, you see. Because the death rate for kids underneath the age of 18 pretty much is not existent. But these teachers, no, we got to keep things shut down. Because here's the thing, guys, is if you shut down schools in the fall, what about the kids who don't have parents that can stay home and make sure that their kids are learning? Or they don't have childcare figured out? What about the single moms? that are already working two jobs just to take care of, you know, making ends meet. And, and now they, they got to stay home with their kids. It's not, it's not sustainable. It's not possible. And here's the other thing that I, uh, here in a, my town that they, the school district decided to do this. They're basically having some kids come to school on Mondays and Wednesdays. Other kids are coming on, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays and everything else is going to be held online. So 
and even in some of these schools, like they've already thought about, okay, well, what about if kids don't have a laptop? You know, they're, they're checking them out a laptop like they would a textbook, right? But are they guaranteeing that there's internet in the homes for these kids? Because I live in a, a pretty affluent city in the state of Oklahoma, but there's poverty. There's real poverty in my city as well. Are we just assuming that these kids have internet at home? They have Wi-Fi. They can just walk around and work anywhere in their house. The libraries are closed. The kids can't go learn there. And the other thing about it is, is, you know, they've got all these standards for, you know, if a kid tests positive, you know, basically that entire class is going to have to quarantine at home for two weeks because obviously they can just snap their fingers and parents can take care of their kids, take off work for two weeks or something like that. But what they're not talking about is what if that kid has a brother or a sister in school, in the same school? Like are the brothers and sisters classes, do, do all of them have to quarantine now too? It's like they're not taking this to the next level or even the second level out to see what they should really do. So yes, schools should open in the fall. And if you might be thinking to yourself, well, Kyle, what about teachers? What about teachers that are susceptible? Well, guess what? If you're a teacher that's of the age where you are susceptible to this virus or you have diabetes or you're, you know, you recovered from cancer and you're only two years in remission or something like that. Well, let's make accommodations for you. Right. Let's get a proctor in the classroom. Let's let's figure out a way where you can still teach the kids digitally. You can still grade papers, but you're not going to interact with them. You're not going to get all the germs and all, all the kind of that normal stuff, because the reality of this is, guys, is there is a much higher chance of your child below the age of 18 dying from the flu than COVID-19. Stop being ridiculous. The pausing these kids education any longer doesn't make any sense because the same thing is true for people that are canceling fall school. Go ahead and cancel school in the spring too. Cancel in-person school in the spring. Actually go out on a limb because nothing's going to change. Again, we won't have a vaccine. We're not going to have therapeutics that are going to take care of this. And you're still ignoring the fact that kids aren't dying from COVID-19. They're just not dying. I know this seems insensitive and gosh, how could you point out something that's so seemingly obvious? Guys, the thing is, is we have to be realistic about what's really going on here. This is about control. This is about teachers unions telling you when it's okay for your kid to be taught. And guys, there's a lot of people that for the first time in their lives, you know, they thought about homeschool. Now they're really going to maybe pull the trigger on it. They thought about charter schools and all those different things are really going to pull the trigger on it because basically the public school is telling you whether or not they're going to educate your kid. I mean, there's, there's statistics coming in. I think LA County looked at uh, the number, the percentage of students that didn't even open the online portal once school was canceled in the spring, whenever they told everyone to go home in February or March or whatever, it was like 40% of students in LA County, which I think is the largest school district in the United States. If not, it's New York, but this gigantic school district, 40% of the kids never even opened up the portal. These kids aren't learning. Their parents aren't telling them to learn. They're, They're not watching them over their shoulders, making sure that they're learning. These kids are being left behind. So no, until you can show me definitive data that says this is literally a danger to children, just shut up. Let the kids go to school. So the last section here that we'll get into is what your thoughts on COVID-19 say about you. Because again, no matter what side of the fence you're on on this issue, it says something about you, right? You know, obviously you've heard a lot of my opinions up to this point. So it says something about me. You're certainly making judgments about me. So let's get into what that looks like. So if you're pro lockdown, everything, you know, COVID-19 will kill us all. You know, please government do something to save us. Wear a mask or you're a monster. If you're one of those people, here's what I know about you. That says that you're, you're a pretty risk averse person. Typically that most of the situations in your life, you're not going to be the one that's going to take the risk. That's what I know about you. If that's your opinion. 
Another thing that I know about you is it shows how easily you can be controlled and manipulated. Because it's easy to manipulate somebody who will just take the government line or take the Chiron on CNN or take the headline and make it truth for their life. There are a lot of people in my life that are more controllable than I ever thought possible. It's pretty interesting. Another thing that it shows is how much you really can't see or or don't care about the residual damage caused by shutting everything down. So if you're pro lockdown, everything, it just, I, I just can't believe how you don't have any sympathy for the things that are going on, for the lives that are being ruined by these government shutdowns and by these mandates that are being passed down by draconian mayors and governors. I, I just, man, that, that just tells me you seemingly don't care about that. And if, again, if you're one of those people, it shows how truly scared you are. And I mean, to your core as a human being, you are just so afraid because here's the thing, guys, is I would agree that fear was essential at the beginning of the pandemic. It was essential, right? Because we thought that the death rate was, you know, four or five, 6%, which would be horrific. I mean, absolutely horrific. That's a real pandemic, right? But we didn't think the death rate was going to be like 0.4, 0.3, 0 0.2%, right? So fear at the beginning was super effective. It's not effective anymore. But there's all these outlets and all these Twitter people, and they're just pushing this fear porn, which is like, oh my gosh, you, you can't go outside because of this anecdotal story. And oh man, there was a slight uptick in this town somewhere. So we got to shut everything down in our part of the world. It's just not super helpful. So that's what I know about you. I know those things about you. You're risk averse. You know, you can be controlled and manipulated easily. You really don't care about residual damage to shutting everything down. And just, you're super scared if you're pro lockdown everything. But before you think I'm not going to pick on the other side, if you're anti-lockdown, right? If COVID-19 isn't a big deal, the government, you know, isn't going to tell me what to do. Masks are for pussies. Like if you're one of those people, this is what I know about you. You're typically okay with some risk exposure right? I mean, you're, you're just going to be okay with that. That's just who you are. It also tells me that you put extra effort into not being controllable, right? The government's not going to tell me what to do, even if it's not necessary. Even if it's super unnecessary for you to do that, you're going to go out of your way to post on Facebook and post a sticker on your truck and do all those things and show people how much you're not going to listen to the government. Okay. I get it. It also shows me that you are utilitarian, right? You are focused on the majority. So you can come off as heartless because you're not worried about the individual stories. You're worried about the, the macro story. You're worried about the 30,000 foot view and not the ground level view. So that's what we know about you. Another thing we know about you is you seem like you need to show people how not scared you are. So that's one annoying thing I've seen from people that are on the anti-lockdown side is you don't have to go over the top. But these people are just so down to just beat on their chest and show people how not scared they are. But here's the thing. I think most people should be somewhere-ish in the middle. I think being sort of in the middle on COVID-19 is a really good place, a really fair place to be at this point. Again, because we don't know everything. There's a lot not known about what we're dealing with. And I'm trying to be honest intellectually and be somewhere in the middle. But this is kind of where I land personally, okay? I don't think mass lockdowns are helpful overall. 
I think the residual effects that are being caused by businesses being lost, by life's works and life savings being lost, the amount of suicides, the amount of other diseases that are going to come from this and other health issues that are going to come from uh, people not taking care of themselves during the lockdown. I do not think that the mass lockdowns have worked. And again, we can look at Sweden as a, as a case study that, you know, there, and here's the thing guys, is there are states that never locked or have never come out of lockdown that are doing better than states or that are doing worse than states that were stayed open in the United States. It's, it's tough. So I don't think mass lockdowns are, are very helpful. I'm okay with wearing a mask though, to protect others. You know, when it became decently clear, and still the data is not supremely clear on this, but when it became decently clear that if you wear a mask, you're not, unless it's M95, you're not protecting yourself, but if you wear a cloth mask or, or one of those throwaway masks, that you're potentially protecting others. You know what? I'm okay with that. So I don't wear a mask every everywhere that I go, but if I do go into Lowe's or Walmart or something like that, I'll throw my mask on. And it doesn't really bother me. Um... If, if you say, hey, you got to throw on a mask if you're going to come on this door. All right, I was probably going to throw it on anyway, okay? But I will tell you that I'm against mandating mask wearing. Gosh, you know, my town, Edmond, Oklahoma, they have this ridiculous, you know, the city council, we have five people in our city council and they passed this ridiculous law where they were going to put a mask mandate in force, right? That was the headline. And then you read the next line and it was this, the mask mandate will go into effect 30 days from now and it will last for two weeks. I couldn't believe it. I literally had to read the sentence three or four times to make, wait, wait, wait. So it's not going to go into effect for a month and it's only going to be in effect for two weeks after that. Okay. So it's kind of one of those things. It's like they're, they're not really pleasing anybody. The shutdown, everything people are going to be furious and that you can't tell me what to do. People are going to be furious, but it's pretty feckless to begin with. But I don't want to be told what to do by the government, which who I don't think has my best interest at heart. So I'm, I'm against mandating wearing a mask. If you feel like it's the right decision for you to wear a mask, then wear a mask. Also, I'm okay to change my opinion on anything that I've mentioned in this episode so far, if some real data comes out and suggests that I should do so. Like I'm absolutely going to go where the real verified data takes me, right? I, I, I reserve the right to change my opinion. Again, as I've talked about a second ago, I think kids should go to school. I think that the overwhelming amount of our focus should be on protecting the elderly population. You know, the elderly population has been eviscerated by this in the United States and really across the globe. And those were the people that were some of the least protected to start out. That's where the majority of our focus should be. And the last little point is, I don't think you should make every healthy person in the world stay home to protect the old and unhealthy. And there's a lot of old and unhealthy people that would agree with that sentiment. You know, because some of these people that are sick right now, they're sick because of their own life choices. And they realize, man, you know, we shouldn't shut down, you know, you know, tens of millions of people, billions of people worldwide, because, you know, I made some bad decisions. And then for the people that are just sick by no fault of their own, a lot of those people are like, yeah, you know, I understand that I wish I could go outside and I wish I could take care of business in that way. But, you know, it's a tough situation, right? I understand that we should all be able to get to work. So that's kind of how I feel about all of these things. And guys, again, that's, you know, about an hour's worth of content on months and months and months of thinking about this. And guys, a week from now, I'm going to regret saying some of the things that I said here because things are going to change. And, you know, again, I reserve the right to change my opinion, but that's just kind of the world we live in now. But I do want to make one final point because I feel like there's been a big point that's been made that I've taken a particular amount of offense to, and I'm just going to kind of squash it now. 
to those of you pointing your fingers at Christians and demanding that we love thy neighbor and do that by supporting all the lockdowns and some of the leftist policy prescriptions and by shutting down our churches and everything, let me remind you of what you're forgetting. You're forgetting to apply that scripture about loving thy neighbor to the 99 plus percent of people that are not susceptible to death from COVID-19, but are having their livelihoods and subsequently their lives ruined. You want me to apply that to some people, but not others. So what these people are actually saying when they say that to Christians is that they want us to love certain neighbors, a small, very small percentage of them, instead of loving the 99.99% of people who will not be affected directly by COVID-19 in terms of their health. So to those people, I say this, you do not get to tell us how to love thy neighbor. You don't get to do that. Because most of the people that are saying things like that are people that are okay with murdering a baby in the womb. So excuse me if I don't take you seriously when you talk about loving my neighbor. A lot of you people are okay with the country being torn down from the inside by people like Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Well, guess what? I don't think that you know what it means to love thy neighbor when you support organizations like that. When you support politicians that do everything they can to get Christianity, to get any religion out of the public square, to discriminate against people that believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead, and they want to say that publicly. So, you don't get to tell me how to love my neighbor. I know how to love my neighbor. And if I'm doing it incorrectly, God will let me know, not you. All right, guys, before we let you go, we will do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now, we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content like this podcast that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So for today, for all of you John MacArthur fans, I've got a sermon for you. So this was a sermon from a couple of weeks ago. It's called, We Must Obey God Rather Than Men. So if you don't know, John MacArthur has a church out in California and he has defied the lockdown and shutdown orders in California. uh, And he has opened his church back up. Uh, He's opened up the, the worship services and he's there preaching. This was a great sermon. Okay. And he goes into some things about coronavirus and, and how we are to, to act in terms of, uh, the people that control the local governments and all those municipalities. Like he did a fantastic job. John MacArthur is a heavyweight. He's a big time guy in this space. He's a voice that we need right now. And I wouldn't put it past the, the government of California that they're maybe going to come in and arrest him at some point for defying their orders. Uh, You know, he's probably going to get sued, but this is a guy that is standing up for truth. And I think it's worth your time to take a look at that sermon. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us five stars letting us know why you like the content, and that'll help us get this content out to more guys just like you. 
I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2020, if there is going to be a remainder of 2020, and also on into 2021. So if you want me to come speak at your men's event, at your church, to your team, whatever, hit me up, info at undaunted.life. Again, that's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Our website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife and facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song Defender, which is off their latest record entitled Guardians. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. Why?